unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. On the particular occasion that our gospel reading recalls, people bring to Jesus a question about Jesus' fellow Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Pilate, as you know, is the Roman governor and would become Jesus' own ultimate executioner. We don't know anything more about this incident. We do know from the late first century historian Josephus that Governor Pilate brutally quelled anything that looked like it could threaten the Roman peace. We know that even as early as Jesus' day, Galilee in the north was a hotbed of rebellion, and that 40 years from then, it would be Galilee that would rise up militarily first against Rome, making the destruction of Jerusalem inevitable. Perhaps Jesus is being asked to denounce Roman ruthlessness Perhaps he's being asked to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down on the cause of the rebels. Jesus counters with an incident that is equally obscure to us. A construction accident, apparently connected with the building of an aqueduct to protect Jerusalem's water supply, a tower at Siloam near the southeast corner of the city. It had fallen and taken the lives of 18 people. Did Jesus bring it up to call for an investigation as to whether safety standards had been violated, as to whether a contractor who had cut corners would be brought to justice? Was he supposed to express sympathy over maybe there had been an earthquake tremor and then call for a more rigorous code? We got no idea. The one thing I think it's safe to say is that Jesus is not afraid to engage where people's emotions are raw. And it's incredibly easy to insert headlines that have made our own emotions raw these days because haters still hate, the greedy still grab, the inattentive still don't care. But Jesus is unwilling to follow anybody's script except his own. He won't jump on anybody's political bandwagon. He's unwilling to play the blame game. We need, I think, to grapple with three things. One, who it is who is speaking. Two, what his true mission is, and three, how he'd have us respond. First, who it is who's speaking? None other than the great I am. Over and over again in John's gospel, Jesus refers to himself as the great I am. And in that light, 
looking across at today's Old Testament reading from Exodus 3, one can only conclude that this person in Luke chapter 13, this very person had once appeared as the angel of the Lord in a burning bush. Once this very person had said, I have observed the misery. I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmaster. Indeed, I know their sufferings. The cry of the Israelites has come up to me. Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 9. Jesus is not here this day in Jerusalem taking in their question because he doesn't care. And according to today's epistle in Paul, this Jesus is the very Christ who had accompanied the Israelites through the wilderness under Moses and who had nourished them there. Standing before them this very day in Jerusalem is the spiritual rock from which their forebears had drunk. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. The arc of the biblical story. The arc of the biblical story is all about God responding to the cries of hurting and broken people. If these people who come to Jesus with their question care about murder and violence, it's because their Bible, authored by the I Am to whom they brought their complaint, had taught them to do so. If they resonate with the plight of the 18 innocents whose lives were snuffed out by the falling tower of Siloam, whether because of bad design or cut corners or shoddy construction or just a freak of nature, whether they resonate with the plight of these 18s, of these 18, it's because the Bible that the very rescuer standing before them had given them and taught them. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 6. If you build a new house, you must construct a guardrail around your roof to avoid being culpable in the event someone should fall from it. Safety standards were Jesus' idea from the very beginning. I repeat, Jesus is not here this day because he doesn't care. And the only reason they care is because he taught them to do so in the first place. Nonetheless, two, he wants them to focus on what his true mission is. So that's number two. His true mission is to deal with our root problem, sin. To paraphrase Jesus from a different context, the violent you will always have with you. Bad design and shoddy construction you will always have with you. And as Jesus also says in a different context, sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Time will be 
time will be for you to address things like these. Time enough to stand up to lawless violence, whether perpetrated by those governing or by their usurpers. Time enough to investigate construction projects gone awry. But Jesus' response this day goes in a different direction. Luke told us three chapters ago that Jesus has set his heart like flint to go to Jerusalem for his exodus, his journey to take people out of captivity. In the chapter before today's chapter, that is back in chapter 12, he said, I have a baptism with which to be baptized. And what stress I am under until it is completed. Luke chapter 12, verse 50. What's weighing on him in this moment is what he has to undergo and what it is in them that makes his ordeal necessary. And so his somewhat surprising response this day is, were those Galileans worse than all other Galileans? No, but unless you repent, you will perish just as they did. Chapter 13, verse 2. Were those 18, were they worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, but unless you repent, you will perish just as they did. Chapter 13, verse 5. Let me paraphrase. Today, if you will listen, today, dear ones, you need to understand one thing. The reason that there is violence and incompetence in the world is because there is violence, graft, corruption, incompetence, a tendency to cut corners in the heart of each one of you. Now, I wish that I could just grab you and wrap you up in my arms of love like a hen with her little ones and simply make it all go away. But I can't, for at heart, you are all sinners. You miss the mark of God's design for you. He made you to love him, and you love other things instead. And sin has to be snuffed out at the root. And that is why I must go to Jerusalem to die, to take it all into myself, to bear its weight, to pay its cost, to exhaust its fury to bear its burden for you. And from that cross, to beg the Father to forgive you. I have come to take it all into the grave and to leave it there. Which takes us to the third point. How he'd have us to respond to who he is and to what his mission is. How he'd have us to respond at Lent, repent of sin's lingering effects.
In Luke, Jesus finishes today's passage by telling the story of the fig tree that's given one more season in which to bear fruit. A sober warning to the generation that is about to crucify their Lord. Sobering enough. Perhaps more sobering, certainly more sobering to me because I'm here, not there. I'm now, not back then. Certainly more sobering to me is the way Paul addresses those of us who have embraced Christ on this side of his death and resurrection and by repentance, faith, and baptism have become his followers. Just like the generation that rejected him and just like the generation that fell in the wilderness, we need the warning. The Chinese pastor, Watchman Nee, once observed that Paul teaches that we have been made new in Christ, but have to be told to put off the old person. Watchman Nee said it's like we're chained to a rotting carcass that we have to drag around, reminded of the stench of what we were tempted to think that that's what we really still are, constantly having to work against the drag of the death that used to define us. During Lent, we concentrate on saying no to the old. And Paul just happens this week in our reading to provide a handy-dandy checklist. If you take your bulletin insert, I'd invite you to look at the Corinthians reading and go down to verse 7. Idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10, 7. Idolatry. A question to ask myself this Lent. What or whom do I love more than him? Next verse, verse 8, sexual immorality. A question to ask myself this Lent, are there places I go with my mind or my body that I know are out of bounds? Next verse, verse 9, putting Christ to the test. A question to ask myself this Lent. Are there places in my life where I just flirt with sin? Pretend that Christ doesn't care, is looking the other way, or just isn't interested. And then verse 10. Uh, this is where he starts meddling. I don't really like this one. Complaining. A question to ask myself this Lent. Is there some basic underlying whine to my life? A place where I think I've been ignored, passed over, been given less than my due? Some place where ingratitude colors everything I do. There's good news this Lent. If you belong to Jesus Christ by repentance and faith, and repentance is as simple as turning from the old you 
And faith is as simple as asking him to take over your life. Those things, idolatry, sexual immorality, putting Christ to the test and complaining, they're not who you are. If confession, or what the Book of Common Prayer calls on page 446, what the Book of Common Prayer calls the right of reconciliation. If confession or right of reconciliation would put you in mind of that fact this Lent season, we, speaking for Josh and for me, we would be honored to be at your side. Simply come in on Good Friday where we'll just have some time to be available to you. Or if that doesn't work for you, if you need reconciliation earlier, call and make an appointment. And we would be honored to be with you and to walk with you and, and pronounce God's words of forgiveness to your honestly owned stuff. Meanwhile, let today's collect suffice. Look back at the beginning of your bulletin. down at the bottom of that first panel. And as Josh prayed earlier in the service after our Kyrie, would you pray this prayer with me? Let us pray. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls that we may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen and amen.